Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. The first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. It was a domino effect. From the time 911 was called, it went from the 911 caller to the coroner to the detective. The only witness you have that's saying it's a suicide is the suspect. Welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek, and I am sitting, I don't know, 200 feet away from Alexis Linkletter because we're in New York City, baby! Woo! (laughs) Not that we can do anything. No, sorry. By New York City, I mean we're trapped in a hotel room in New York City and can't really leave or do anything, but you know what? It's better than being trapped in my apartment in L.A. And speaking of L.A., Billy Jensen holding the fort down in L.A. I'm holding the fort down in L.A. Everything's all all good here. He's literally in a fort. (laughs) I'm in a blanket fort right now. (laughs) Yeah, he's he's literally holding the fort down. So, I mean, Billy, how does it feel to be the odd one out? Because I'm usually the odd one out. You know what? It's okay. It rained yesterday, and um, it's it's been nice in LA. But I do miss you guys. I'm glad that we are uh, missing all of the rainy weather. But uh, I'm glad that we're missed. That feels nice. Did he say you missed us? (laughs) Yeah, okay. I must have glossed over it. Um, Billy, what day is it today? <laughs> okay, so today is a very special day for me, actually. January 27th, it's a Wednesday. It's National Chocolate Cake Day. Ooh. Yeah. And I will say chocolate cake is probably, right behind steak, my favorite food. And my favorite chocolate cake, at least from the store, was Entenmann's Fudge Ice Devil's Food Cake. Mm. I don't like a packaged cake. I like a from a like steakhouse. I speaking of steak, I like like a molten oh molten lava in it. Yeah, and then it overflows with fudge. I don't like a packaged cake at all. I need mm. like a fresh cake situation. But I don't even like cake. But if I'm gonna do it, I need like a you got to do dessert it. cake. Yeah, you know what I'm gonna do today now since it is chocolate cake day. I'm gonna get a sprinkles chocolate cupcake. I think that oh, that really is. Yeah. Yeah, you know, Great nothing, idea. nothing like a sprinkles cake. What, are there any other good days, Billy? It's National Geographic Day, oh. a fine magazine, if there fine. ever was one. A fine channel. It's a TV channel also. It is also a channel fine as well. Fine brand. Yeah. Anything else of note? Um, It's Thomas Crapper Day. Crapper? What's that? You know who Thomas, he's the guy that apparently invented the toilet. Oh, that sounds like a lie. Mm, okay. Thomas Crapper, all right. But I will say, I didn't even realize, uh, we record these in advance, everyone. The 27th, me and Billy's other podcast also comes out today. Oh my gosh. Long Island Serial Killer. That's right. Sorry, I should have definitely uh, led no, with that. I no, literally, I literally just forgot. So no, that's okay. Enough said with that. But if you like this, check that out. It's really riveting. Happy yes. Un- release day, guys. Yes. Unraveled uh, Long Island Serial Killer. Download it. Subscribe. Rate it. Rate review check it check it out it's gonna blow your mind but five stars five stars five stars i was gonna say that's enough of that but i didn't want to hijack your line well don't don't (laughs) take my line uh that's enough of that so let's turn down the lights and turn up your anxiety because this could be you (laughs) 
today's case takes us back to October 3rd of 2016, not that long ago. Top songs on the Billboard chart were Closer by The Chainsmokers and Halsey and Heathens by 21 Pilots. Movies Inferno and Keeping Up with the Joneses were in theaters. The setting for today's case is Walker County, Georgia. And according to the Walker County website, the boundaries of Walker County were originally set in 1833, carved from neighboring Murray County and land once belonging to the Cherokee tribe. And several major battles have occurred in Walker County over the years, including the Battle of Chickamauga, the second bloodiest battle during the Civil War. In today's episode, we're going to introduce you to our first degree straight away. This is Amanda, and our case today revolves around her brother, DJ. We grew up in a little town called Chickamauga, Georgia. It's a little hole in the wall. You blink your eyes, if you drive through, you're going to miss it. Amanda grew up in this town with her family. She was one of four children, and she was particularly close to her brother, DJ. We had an older sister, and then we had a younger sister, and then I was older than DJ, but me and DJ were the middle children, and we were the closest. We had a great childhood. I mean, we had a mom and dad, you know, that were loving parents. They took care of us. Our dad was a Vietnam veteran. He had a lot of health issues there in the last few years of his life. He developed cancer. And he actually passed away when DJ was 14 years old. And with DJ being the only boy, he was really, really close to his dad. DJ was angry with God about that because DJ was a a church goer. You know, he went to church all, all the time. When my dad died, he was at that age where he didn't understand. So when Amanda and DJ's father died, DJ took it the hardest. And like many do, DJ looked for distraction for his pain. He started getting in with the wrong crowd, being 14 years old, and he didn't have that father figure in his life anymore to keep him on the right path. He started smoking pot and doing what normal, typical teenagers would do. But despite the fact that DJ did sort of fall into the quote-unquote wrong type of crowd in his teenage years, it didn't stop him from graduating high school and turning into a great guy. By the time DJ reached his high school graduation, Amanda and DJ's family had actually picked up and moved to Alabama. But the part of Alabama that they lived in was on the Georgia border, and a drive to their hometown was just a really quick trip if they wanted to go and visit. So that's exactly what DJ did often when he wanted to go see his old high school buddies. He went back frequently because he didn't have any friends where they moved to in Alabama. And it's when he was back hanging with his buddies that he crossed paths with a girl named Brandy. He actually knew Brandy from school. I think she was in a grade under him. They were not close, like they wasn't friends or anything, but they knew of one another. After DJ got out of school, they would run into each other, hanging out with mutual friends. So while DJ and Brandy hadn't had much of a relationship in high school, there was an instant pull when they reconnected. When they first got together, they were, oh my God, they were both on cloud nine. The two of them were madly in love, and Amanda was happy to add another sister to the family. She came from a a bad family, and her mom was never really in her life. She was an only girl of all boys, so she never knew what it was like to have a sister or anything like that. So when we met Brandy, we welcomed her with open arms. We, We treated her like a normal sister. She was family to us. DJ and Brandy's relationship continued to progress. Eventually, Brandy discovered that she was pregnant, and DJ was thrilled to learn he was going to be a dad. The first child was born, and they got married. They, you could just see the joy and the happiness in their face, and they were just so happy. Brandy and DJ's relationship progressed in that textbook way you'd expect a loving relationship to progress. A few years later, Brandy learned she was expecting again, and this time, to their delight, it was twins. After the twins were born, Brandy and DJ were the proud parents of now three children. DJ was 27 and Brandy was 26. DJ was still a church-loving man and belonged to the Oakwood Baptist Church. And life was really good. And both Brandy and DJ loved their family. There's no denying that the stress of such incredible responsibility for such a young couple can take its toll. So both DJ and Brandy would indulge in some partying to blow off steam. And many of their friends would congregate at this one particular party house in Georgia. The person that lived in the house was called Old Man. That's what everybody called him. And it was like the place to be. It was like the hangout spot. That's where everybody hung out. There was drugs involved. So at any given time, there was multiple people living there, staying there, in and out. 
at all times. And DJ and Brandy was hanging out there and staying there on and off for about, probably about seven or eight months. So Brandy and DJ spent a lot of time having fun with their friends at this house. And all was good until a guy named Mike showed up. And then all of a sudden, this Mike guy comes in, and he ends up moving a camper onto the property and is living in the camper. And Mike's arrival at this house is when things began to fall apart between DJ and Brandy. After the set of twins were born in 2015 was when we knew she was having an affair. Brandy and Mike had somehow formed a connection, and she started cheating on DJ, and she seemed to be doing it right in front of his face. After he moved in onto the property in the camper, that's when Brandy started having the affair with Mike. We knew about it right away. DJ, DJ told us about it. He talked about how much he didn't, you know, he didn't like him. He hated him. He, anybody would. I mean, if your spouse was cheating on someone, you're not going to very well be friends with that person, you know? But DJ, despite Brandy's cheating, he didn't want to give up on his relationship with her and desperately wanted to keep his family together. However, this very unhealthy love triangle seemed to be cemented and a very painful pattern became clear. But no matter what, DJ was not giving up on his wife. Their vows were extremely important to him. He loved her. He loved Brandy with everything in him. I could not count on two hands how many times Brandy left DJ to be with Mike. But every time she left DJ to be with Mike, DJ would win her back over. And she would come back home with DJ. They would be fine for a couple of weeks. Brandy would pick a fight, take back off up to Georgia to be with Mike. It was just a, a routine. It was, it was so predictable. And for those of you who are dialed into the true crime world, you're well aware. There are few things more powerful and more of a driving force than the aspects of adultery, love, jealousy, betrayal and that hatred that manifests itself as a result of these things. And our first degree, Amanda, watched helplessly from the sidelines as Brandy yo-yoed with her brother's emotions. I've never hated anyone. I just, I, I didn't like the way she was treating my brother. You know, we told him, move on, find somebody else. She's not good for you. He would always say, you know, I'll always love her. She's the mother of my kids. He never would give up on her. As time went on, and as Brandy went back and forth between DJ and Mike, one could have predicted that the rivalry between the two men would escalate to violence. He had no anger towards Brandy. He was more hurt than anything, but there was a lot of anger between him and Mike. There was several incidents where they had physical altercations. And these physical altercations happened at the same party house where the affair between Brandy and Mike began. And remember, Mike lived there on the property in his camper. There was one incident where CJ was walking out of the home and Mike was outside waiting on him with a ball bat. And when DJ came out of the home, he hit DJ with a ball bat. DJ grabs up a golf club out of the yard and they start fighting it out with one another. DJ ends up knocking Mike's tooth out. And then a second incident occurred. There was another incident where DJ and Brandy were sitting outside on a swing talking to one another. They were working things out and getting back together. It's right outside of Mike's camper. So he's overhearing their conversation and they're talking about moving back to Alabama. Well, Mike comes out of that camper with a shotgun and puts it to Brandy's head and tells her to get inside the camper that she wasn't leaving. The only way she was leaving out of there was in a body bag. She goes into the camper. He beats the hell out of her that night. So I bet you're wondering, what was DJ thinking? How much of this is he supposed to take? He loved Brandy, and not only has Mike assaulted him, he's now hurt the women he loves too. And in this particular incident where Brandy was assaulted, DJ was helpless because Mike was swinging his shotgun around and threatening to shoot them. So after this encounter where Mike assaulted Brandy, she wisely left Mike and went back to DJ. She didn't want to be with a man who could thoughtlessly beat her. And once DJ had Brandy back, he was thrilled. And it seemed like finally this reconciliation between the two of them was going to stick and perhaps his family would be put back together again. Amanda remembers the relief in her brother's voice at that time. 
they were back together. He called to check on the kids. Everything was fine. This was October. We always have a big Halloween costume party every year. He was talking about what he wanted the kids to dress up as for Halloween, what he was going to go as for Halloween. He wasn't angry. He wasn't unhappy. He wasn't any of those things. He was a DJ. He was normal DJ. Maybe this was it. Maybe this time, DJ and Brandy really could and would get their relationship back on track. That was certainly Amanda's hope for her brother, and she expected she'd hear an update from him soon. But only a few days later, she received a call from her mother. I have one little girl. I was homeschooling her. She was in kindergarten. And my mom called me, and she was just hysterical, screaming. She was crying, and I, I could not make out anything she was saying. And... Just out of nowhere, she said, DJ's dead. And I I just, I went into shock mode. And I just, I remember, I kept saying, no, 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 no. I ran to the bedroom, and I I turned the bedroom light on, and I told my husband, I just screamed, DJ's dead. And he jumps up, and I, I remember falling to the floor. I was just shaking hysterically. So what the hell happened here? Amanda is processing this emotionally traumatizing and heartbreaking news while also calling other close family members, and she begins hearing bits and pieces of what happened. So Amanda had been told that DJ had been killed by a gunshot blast to the head. But here's the crazy thing. They were being told that DJ had shot himself in the head, and this is unbelievable to their family. None of this was making sense, and Amanda refused to believe that her brother would take his own life especially not as things were getting back on track with Brandy and his family. He was making future plans, you know, and he wasn't suicidal. He wasn't depressed. Not only did Amanda believe that DJ would never take his own life, but the information that she was hearing about the events that transpired on that day completely contradicted that possibility. And here's why. Now, this is the day that it happened. Before my mom called and told me that he was dead, DJ was texting her just out of the blue, you know, he texted her and said, hey, you've got to come get me now. And she asked him, she said, what is it, DJ? I'm sick. And he said, I'm going to end up dead here if you don't come and get me. And my mom was hesitant. Amanda and DJ's mom was hesitant because even though they all loved Brandy and DJ, they were all a little emotionally exhausted by the constant drama between the two of them. DJ's mom responded and said the following. I'm sick, DJ. I can't take the stress. There's always stress with you, too. I can't take it. And once the word of DJ's death began to spread, more information about the day came to light. I posted on Facebook, you know, for everyone to please pray for my family. And my cousin had sent me a message and said I was just talking to him. And she sent me screenshots of where they were talking back and forth. CJ had sent her a message that asked her, hey, can you come get me? And she said, sorry, I can't. And he said, well, it'll save my life. As Amanda is piecing things together, her husband picked up their mom, and they drove to the party house where DJ had been shot. They wanted to get more information about what had happened. So my mom arrives at the location. There's one detective there. He's already in his car about to back out of the driveway. And my mom knocks on his window and asks, for him to make sure to get a gun residue sample from everybody that was there at the home. He assured her that he had got, he had, he had already done that. DJ's body had already been taken by the time she got there, but they let her walk up into the house and see the aftermath of where my brother had been shot. The scene was never rubbed off. It was not treated as a crime scene because it was called in as a suicide. I took French in high school, and I was so excited that we were going to France for Jack's wedding so I could practice my French. And it was only when I got there I realized just how rusty I'd gotten. And I wanted to communicate in French with the locals there so badly. If you can relate to this experience, then Rosetta Stone is right for you. 
Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. You can choose from one of 25 languages like Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, and Polish. Fast-track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a quick and natural way. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's True Accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Rosetta Stone is so convenient, and it can be used on your desktop computer or as an app, with audio companion and ability to download lessons offline. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com first today. So if you're a super busy person and you don't have time to go to the gym, or maybe you just don't even want to go to the gym and work out in front of a bunch of different people, you need to check out the Aloe Moves app. I'm obsessed with this app. So it makes it easy to keep your wellness routine on track because they have everything in one place. There's yoga, there's Pilates, fitness classes, mindfulness, self-care tips, healthy recipes, and so much more. So either you're a beginner or you're an advanced person, Aloe Moves has the flow or class that will fit your schedule. Their classes range from five minutes to an hour, depending on what you're feeling that day. So even if you only have five minutes, you can just get some movement in. I used Allo Moves all during the pandemic. It was amazing. Like I was on my yoga journey and I was obsessed with it. So you can find stress relief with meditations, affirmations, face yoga, gua sha, dry brushing, and journaling for those quiet moments, even if you don't really want to get a workout on. And when it comes to sleep, it's just important as fitness and nutrition, and they've got you covered with Allo Moves. So unlock your personal wellness routine with Allo Moves. Go to Allo Moves Dot com and use code FIRST for an exclusive 30-day free trial and enjoy 20% off an annual membership. That's allomoves.com, code FIRST, A-L-O-M-O-V-E-S.com, code FIRST. Okay, so listen, we are busy ladies over here on The First Degree, and when I have a moment of free time, I don't want to spend it grocery shopping. I want to spend it rotting on the couch and watching reality TV, and that is why I love Thrive Market. So Thrive Market is a go-to for all of my grocery and household essentials, and the convenience of getting everything online then quickly shipped to my doorstop is such a huge time saver. So Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They actually restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories. So you can go on their website and use their filters to suit any of your lifestyle needs. If you're allergic to a certain ingredient, if you just don't want to have it in your life, that's why Thrive Market is so awesome. So whether you're looking for organic snacks for your kids or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free pantry essentials, you can curate your own shopping experience with just a few clicks. I love this so much because I don't want to read every ingredient when I go to the grocery store. It's so easy to do it online, honestly, when I'm rotting on the couch. So join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash first for 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash first. Thrivemarket.com slash first. So I bet you're wondering, who exactly called 911 and reported DJ's suicide? Who discovered his body? And before we tell you that, let's talk about the timing of this 911 call. It was made just moments after DJ was frantically texting loved ones to come pick him up. Three minutes after the last text messages were sent from DJ, Mike called 911 and says, hey, we got a guy here that shot himself. Yes. It was DJ's romantic rival who had called 911. And Mike claimed that DJ shot himself. Here's that call. Walker County 911. Uh, I'm sorry, I need a, uh, I am at the, uh, 862 Nick J. Rose. Okay, what's the problem? Uh, we got a guy who shot himself. Okay, what did he shoot himself with? A shotgun. Okay, is he breathing? Uh, it looks like, yeah, I don't know. I just think How old is he? I tried to get the gun. I tried to get the gun. And it went off, and he 
a 12 gauge? Uh, yeah. Is it still able to talk? Is he still able to talk? No. I mean, he can study his mouth. All right. Is he still breathing? Yeah, it looks like it. He hangs up on 911 three different times. He never tries to assist DJ in any way. He makes every 911 call more about him than he does DJ. He, he's telling them that he picked the gun up to see what it was. He says, they keep asking him if if DJ was breathing, and he doesn't try to render aid. He doesn't try to do CPR. He doesn't do anything. Mike made that 911 call. But here's the thing. When the police arrived, they didn't have any background information. So Mike was in control of the scene. And all of the preliminary information law enforcement collected upon arrival, the information that helped them make a deduction about what had happened, was coming from Mike. He was in charge. And Mike was claiming that DJ shot himself in the head using Mike's shotgun. And what's especially weird is that DJ had been shot fatally in the left side of his face with a shotgun at a downward angle, even though DJ was right-handed. But of course, at the time, the police had no way of knowing that. The first responding officer gets on the scene and he tells the first responding officer that the gun was on a shelf over DJ's body on the wall. So... He goes in, he clears the scene. Side note, when Amanda says he, she means Mike. First responders get there, you know, they check for signs of life and everything. The coroner and the detective show up at the same time. I know in different states, coroners mean different things. The coroners in Georgia are not medical examiners. They basically just transport bodies, things like that. The coroner had been the coroner for 20 23 years in this county. He's a joke. They go in. They first question who all's there. And Mike tells them that it was just him, DJ, and Brandy. Well, the truth would come out later on that there was actually about eight or nine people there. And as soon as the shooting took place, everybody took off and left the scene And after law enforcement showed up, they all started coming back in to make it look like they had just got there. So the detectives start asking, you know, what happened and everything. Within within five minutes, he catches Mike in several lies. Mike's story allegedly then changes several times. So first, he was in the far bedroom when he heard the gun go off. And then he saw DJ sitting there with a gunshot wound. Then in his next breath, he said he was outside the house when he heard the gun go off. Then a few minutes later, he apparently says he tried to wrestle the gun away from DJ when it went off. So this begs the question, wouldn't this morphing story set off some kind of alarm bells for the detective? I mean, even if the detective is young and inexperienced. The detective caught on to it. He called on to these red flags. And I believe... In my opinion, with him being a a new, you know, being inexperienced, being in training, he was catching on to these things. But here you have a corner that's been a corner for 23 years and has pretty much seen it all, you know. He's more experienced. He, He goes in and says, yeah, it's a suicide because we have a witness that says it's a suicide. But this coroner had no idea that the guy who is saying that DJ's death is a suicide is the person with the most motive to kill him and the person who has threatened DJ's life on several different occasions. Well, that witness is the suspect, for one. The only witness you have that's saying it's a suicide is the suspect. Okay? But the detective is going along with the coroner because he's more experienced. But at the same time, he's seeing these red flags. He's still picking up on things, but he didn't do what he should have done. And you know those people who are at the house who likely witnessed this all go down and then started to come back as if they were just arriving? 
while they all play dumb about what happened. Sounds like really good friends. But what about Brandy? DJ's wife and the mother of his children? What did she do? Brandy seen it all. They questioned her at the scene with Mike standing right beside her. She's hysterical. She can't get anything out. She she can't talk. She's just in shock. So they couldn't get anything out of her. And they told her to go to go to the camper and that they would come back and talk to her in a few days after she had time to calm down. As the chaos at the scene was unfolding, Amanda's husband had arrived at the house with DJ's mother. When my husband and my mom got to the scene, Brandy jumped in the SUV with my mom and my husband wanting to leave with them. And I regret them making this decision every day, but at the time, we knew DJ didn't kill himself. We knew who did kill him. We just didn't know if Brandy had a role in it or what role she played in it. So when she jumped in the SUV to leave with my mom and husband, my husband told her, you're not going with us. And like I said, I regret that every day because I know now had they have took her with them, she would have told them what happened right then and there. Whether Brandy had gone with them or not, so many mistakes had already been made, which would ultimately set into motion Amanda's years-long battle of fighting for justice for her brother, DJ. DJ had been dead for an hour and a half, two hours, before we were even notified that he was dead. On the way up to the crime scene, my mom got called. It was the coroner of the county. She told him that this was not a suicide, that she had proof that she had text messages from her son begging for someone to save his life. And the coroner told her, well, we know it was a suicide because we have a witness that's seen him do it. The day after the murder, Brandy's aunt picked her up from the party house where this all went down. And Brandy told her aunt everything. After that, Brandy's aunt called Amanda and DJ's mother and told her everything. So here's a story that Brandy told. Here's what Brandy said. She was in the bathroom fixing her hair. DJ was sitting on the love seat, texting his mom. So when she walks out of the bathroom, she's in the kitchen going towards the bedroom. She said about the same time that her eyes met DJ's eyes, that Mike walked out of the bedroom behind DJ's left shoulder, pointed the gun at DJ, called him a motherfucker. DJ looked up and Mike pulled the trigger and shot him. So everything should be straightened out now, right? After Brandy told the truth about what she saw. Now the police have the context they need to investigate this properly. Now they have the background information about this romantic rivalry between Mike and DJ. They now know about the text messages where DJ is begging for a ride out of this place like his life depends on it. They now have Mike's evolving story about what happened that day. And they have Brandy, an eyewitness, who saw the entire thing. It's a clear case of homicide. So what happened next? Well, believe it or not, it actually gets worse. Mike was finally brought in for questioning. He was given a polygraph, and they asked him to reenact how the shooting occurred. The polygraph examiner told Mike, he said, I'm just having a really hard time understanding how you're trying to tell me that this shooting occurred. So Mike did a reenactment of the shooting, and the way he reenacted the shooting The gun would have went off in an upward angle. It would have went from bottom to top. And the polygraph examiner says in the video, there's there's no possible way the shooting occurred the way he says it did. So basically, he failed the reenactment of the shooting, and he also failed the polygraph examination. Mike was let go, and the matter of death on DJ's autopsy was marked as suicide. So he failed the polygraph examination. He failed a reenactment of the shooting. You have two witnesses that say that he came out of that bedroom with the gun. It was cocked and it was loaded and he pointed it at DJ. One says that he don't think that he meant to shoot DJ. The other one says that he intentionally shot DJ. They knew all of this information 
But because GBI had it ruled a suicide based on that false information sent to them, the DA concludes that it is a suicide and they closed the case. The DA closed the case, ruled DJ's death as suicide. Infuriating, right? Completely infuriating. And to Amanda and her family, completely soul-crushing. How did this happen? It was a domino effect. From the time 911 was called, it went from the 911 caller to the coroner to the detective. During the whole investigation, the Walker County Sheriff's Department detectives never once picked up the telephone and called GBI and told them, hey, this may be something other than a suicide. We, we're looking at this as a possible homicide case now. Never. They never had any contact with GBI whatsoever during the entire investigation. Putting yourself in Amanda's place, you want to pull your hair out. Why hasn't more been done in a case that seems so cut and dry? It was laziness. Nobody wanted to do their job. And I honestly think that DJ was just written off and blew off and tossed aside as if he was nothing because of where this happened at and because of the lifestyle of some of these people. It was a known drug house. DJ was known to have done drugs in the past. They didn't care. They didn't see him as I seen him. You know, they didn't know him. He's he's a case number to them. That's all he is. They didn't know he had a family that loved him with everything in them. They didn't know he had three kids that were never gonna that were gonna grow up to never remember their father because they were so young. We begged them the entire time, please bring GBI in on this and have them investigate this case. When a death occurs the state crime lab is the one that comes in and investigates and everything. They wouldn't let them do it on DJ's case. It was just the sheriff's department that was doing it. And if you're wondering, Brandy did not handle this whole ordeal well herself. I can tell you for 100% certainty that she is paranoid and terrified to death of Mike. She's scared to death that he is going to kill her. She went on a downward spiral. DJ was basically the only thing that would keep Brandy from falling off. Brandy had her drug problem, but DJ kept her from going overboard. Since DJ was killed, since she witnessed what happened, Brandy spiraled out of control. Probably the last six months, I've not had any contact with her. I don't really know where she's at. She hasn't even seen the kids in a year. So, I mean, I, I don't, I couldn't tell you anything about it right now. In a case that seems so cut and dry, you struggle to understand how the DA just closed the case. Amanda's family has been left with complete resistance in the pursuit of justice for DJ, as Mike just walks free. For four and a half years, I have been ignored. To this day, the sheriff of Walker County, Georgia, has never spoken to my family, ever. And it's not from lack of trying. I emailed the sheriff every week for 12 weeks straight, asking him for a meeting to sit down and talk with us. They still have the gun sitting in the evidence room, and it's never been tested for fingerprints or touch DNA or anything else. They've never tested anything. So I was willing to use my own money to have this gun tested for prints. I was willing to pay for things out of my own pocket. He never responded. He's never spoken to us, ever. And even if this was a suicide, what kind of sheriff does not have the nerve to sit down and talk to a grieving family? Nobody should be treated that way. The main obstacle, the hardest one, as long as it was listed as suicide, nothing was going to be done. I love this city. This was my hometown. I, I grew up there. But I cannot even go into this county without getting sick at my stomach because the way they have treated me and my brother and my family. It just makes me sick, literally. And more than four years later, progress is finally being made. And it's these little victories that Amanda clings to. I will say that after four very long and stressful years, GBI changed the manner of death 
last year to from suicide to undetermined. But it was not easy. <laughs> that means that the case can be reopened now. So now our obstacle is with Walker County. There is now a new DA in office. We did meet with him a couple of weeks ago. The meeting went really well. They did not do their job. It's not too late. They can go, they can still make this right. They can, they can do the right thing. I've always knew that the justice system was corrupted to, to a certain point. I knew that there was evil in the world and I knew that there was good cops and bad cops. I'm going through pure hell, a total nightmare and being treated like just a piece of trash. And I'm a, I'm a good person. I've never broken the law. You don't have to be a criminal or a bad person to be treated bad by law enforcement. One of the most frustrating aspects of this is how Mike is walking free while DJ lost everything. But Amanda has kept tabs on him as she waits for the wheels of justice to turn. We've kept track of him. Me and my private investigator have kept dibs on him over the years. I can completely understand how people can take the law into their own hands. After being put through what what we have been put through, I'm not going to do it. I'm trying to do it the right way. I would actually get to grieve my brother to death. I haven't been able to do that. I've been fighting for so long. I haven't been able to grieve his death. Amanda has words of wisdom for anyone else fighting the good fight for justice for a loved one. Don't give up because that's what they want you to do. They they will ignore you, blow you off, run you in circles, hoping that you'll, you will eventually give up and go away. And don't. Just don't give up. Okay, well, a huge thank you to Amanda for being our first degree guest this week. If you're listening out there and you have a story to tell, no story is too small, please email us hello at firstdegreepodcast.com. You can follow us on Instagram at the first degree at Alexis Linkletter at Billy Jensen at Jack Vanek. Join our Facebook group. We're talking true crime all the time, and we're also just talking about a bunch of random shit there in there as well. And uh, stick around because we're going to kill this sometime. Before we end, Amanda, we're thinking about you. You do deserve justice for your brother. And it's really just like very demonstrative of the helplessness you can feel at the hands of law enforcement under certain circumstances. And everyone in this community is thinking about you. Yeah. We're all rallying behind you. Yeah. And hoping you, your brother gets the justice he deserves. And remember, only you can prevent serial killers and keep your friends close. But But not that. Club. Happy chocolate cake day. Hell yeah. Mm. Happy, happy day. Molten lava cake day. Bye. Mm. Mm, 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 mm. Shout out to Jared Monaco for sound design and for creating original music for The First Degree. Our producing team, Caitlin Cleveland, Taylor Rogers, and Alan Santiago for Podcast One. And as always, our first degree guests are always our largest source. Bye. Everybody loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story. So it's going to take you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. I'm really feeling this because Lex and I both are really like into Gatsby stuff right now. So I am loving the vibe of this game. And you're going to step into the role as June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. It's perfect for all of the firsties out there. There's mystery, danger, and romance as you search for hidden objects from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris. And you can customize your very own luxuries estate island. Think expansive gardens and beautiful buildings and collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. 
character. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. No prepping, no cooking, or cleanup needed. There's over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Get started today and get after your goals. Plus, Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. For me, I was really struggling to get enough protein. I always do. But Factor's meals are protein-packed, and they're so good. And it's so easy when I'm slammed busy working in the middle of the day to just have lunch right there, not needing to do anything, except heat it up. Head to factormeals.com slash firstdegree50 and use code DEGREE50 to get 50% off. That's code DEGREE50 at factormeals.com slash firstdegree50 to get 50% off. All right. Well, welcome to another episode of Killing Time. Now, I think before we begin our Killing Time episode, we need to acknowledge what Billy's setup is right now. Because number one, he's wearing a ho- a hoodie, but the hood a is white, up. white hoodie. A and white like, hoodie. Yes. I can't discern between his skin and the hoodie. <laughs> it's weird because I don't know if I've ever seen you not in black, Billy. So the white is shocking. Like you look like a ghost. And I've also never seen you with a hoodie on your head. Like, I'm not sure yeah. what look you're, is. You're not a hoodie type of a person. Do you want to explain what your thought process was while getting dressed today? Yeah. Yes. Um, I think getting dressed is a little too on point. I didn't necessarily th- think I got dressed. I just grabbed something. Uh, I have not showered. My oh. hair is a and bit how of a long? mess. In a couple days. Billy. <laughs> No, I showered yesterday actually, really? but I didn't. I didn't do my. I didn't do my hair up, and um, I. Do we look uh, like we did our hair? <laughs> Wait, like, do you think a, we do our hair have, for this? I have a question, Billy. Are you a stinky person? Like, do you get stinky? No, no, I don't. Okay, neither does Jared, and I'm like that. I would love to know what that life is, but that's yeah, great. So, Good for you. Um, yeah, no. So you know what? My hair was. I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to put the uh, the hoodie over. This is a Muhammad Ali 1972 hoodie that. Uh, that I bought and uh, I'm quite comfortable in it. I should never have bought white because it gets dirty all the time. And is you that just, why? I don't think white <laughs> is your color. I'm not going to lie. White's not my color. No. It just looks very unnatural on you. I know. It's totally highly unusual. Me. But it's so comfortable. So well, there I'm you go. With it. Yeah. Um, so we are doing this episode. Alexis and I are actually near each other for once, which is delightful. And Billy's- I'm in room 113 and Jack is room 112. <laughs> really? <laughs> but, not, but they're opposite sides of the hall for some reason. It's really weird. I know. Mm. When, okay. So let's, should we explain our situation? So we're in New York City and we're both going to be on this TV show and they make us quarantine before, which is great. Like great COVID practices. I feel very safe that they're doing this, but they're, they teased us. By making us quarantine for four days, but putting us in rooms that are 112 and 113. <laughs> and it's just like, you should have put us across the like the city from each other. Yeah. Yeah. But like, luckily, our acts of friendship and love transcend um, quarantine. Because I'll be like, hey, girl, do you want a bagel? And I'll like leave a bagel in, at her door. Or I'll be like, hey, girl, do you want this? And she texts me and she's like, hey, girl, want a coffee? But I'm like dead asleep for three hours longer after she texts me that so but like i will say the the quarantine our, our friendship has transcended that it really has but it is it's it's a sad state of affairs but we were finally allowed to see each other today and it was like just the best moment that i've ever had and yeah and i ordered a really just amazing pizza that i it was really good in theory but I had like three bites of it and I feel sick and I'm like, I have a whole pizza of this. It's useless. They put Alfredo sauce on it. I know we need, okay. So Alexis, Alexis has, um, been, uh, 
like ordering her way through New York City when it comes to cuisine and has tried the same pasta like four different times. Okay. Well, hear me out. So in New York, Billy knows this because in Long Island, I did this. I like get obsessed with carbs. I don't really eat mm-hmm. bread that much in New York. Um, but there's this you pasta that's called... Uh, sorry. Yes. In LA, I don't eat carbs that much. But in LA, in Cal- in New York, I'm obsessed with carbs. And there's this pasta they have in New York that they don't really have anywhere in LA. And it's called Cavatelli. And the one I want is like creamy, delicious goodness. And I've ordered like four every night I'm here. And they're, none of them are measuring up. And then I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to have a, my bagel. I have to check that off my carb list. I'm going to have pizza. I have to check that off my list. And like soon I'm done. And then I can just start eating my normal shit. But no one does carbs like New York. And that's what I'm trying to like satisfy my carb cravings. Now, why why is that? Billy, as the elder, I feel like you would know. Why is New York better with carbs? Because I would think maybe back in the day when it was certain people like Italians were more New York than they are anywhere else. But I'm sure there's some Italians in the rest of the country, but just the Italian food doesn't match up to New York Italian food and New York pizza. Why is yeah. that? I, I mean, it, it's a couple things. One, obviously, New York was the melting pot. You had a lot of different um, um, people from uh, immigrants from other countries. They introduced their favorite foods there. But when it comes to bagels and pizza, supposedly it's about the water. And the oh. water in New York, when they make the dough, is different than anywhere else in the country or really anywhere else in the world. And that's why the, you can't replicate the bagels or the pizza anywhere else. Oh, this would make sense. I mean, there is nothing. There's nothing like a New York bagel. Oh my gosh, we were when Jack the other day when we were both eating that New York bagel. It was just that was the one of the best bagels and cream cheese cheese I've ever had. I know because usually I I, ordered the other morning. Usually I have a bagel like the bagel is the vessel for the cream cheese. It's Mm. what's more about the cream cheese than the bagel. But this bagel was more about the bagel, and that's when you know. That's when you know that it's a fantastic bagel. Um, Lex, what have you been doing to, um, pass your, what, what has been your favorite thing to pass the quarantine time while we've been here? Well, mostly my temperature has fluctuated a lot. So I wake up sweating in like a panic and then I open the (laughs) frigid door. I open the balcony door and then a gust of frigid air comes in and then I start shivering and then I, I'm mostly trying to manage my temperature. (laughs) And then beyond that, um, Several baths a day. Yeah, it's definitely been a been a shower bath situation. Yeah, and beyond that, it's like deciding what carb I'm going to have that evening. Like, <laughs> there's really been not much. I mean, I work a ton, but that's boring to talk about. As far as the exciting stuff, it's like the carb adventure, the bath adventure, and the temperature navigating truth that I yeah. have had to face. I've definitely been what taking about you, Jack. Well, I've been taking three showers a day. I take my morning shower um, mm. just to start my day. Then I take my afternoon shower when I feel disgusting because we're stuck in this room. I looked at my steps app. Um, no, don't do that. For the don't last do that again. three days. Uh, yesterday, I took 132 steps total. Oh my God. No, 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 no. So I don't even want to look at mine. Mine's probably worse. The, and the only reason, I mean, we're allowed to go into the lobby of this hotel. So it's been a picking up my random Postmates orders has been the only form of exercise that I've gotten. So you don't feel grosser than when you're sitting in the same spot all day long without, with literally no physical movement whatsoever. So I take my second shower when that starts to really set Set in in around 4 p.m. like a happy hour shower and then I take my nightly shower when I'm ready to go to bed and I lather myself up and I do all my skincare and all that nice stuff so that has been how I'm passing my time I'm so down for that though I'm gonna do that when we get off here I'm gonna do that I bought we just we were allowed out today me and Jack went on a walk in Central Park safely and then we had this meeting and then on our way home, we went to Dwayne Reed and we got uh, lotions and face masks. So as soon as we're off tonight, mm-hmm. that's what I'm going to be. Your girl's wow. going to be face masking, lotioning, buffing, all those things. You were able to find a Dwayne Reed in New York? It's literally right next door to our hotel. <laughs> He's joking. Good, good one, Billy. Another <laughs> fucking, you hit another joke right out of the park, didn't you? <laughs> Oh, yeah, it was really funny. Billy, what have you been doing without us? Are you holding the fort down in LA? I am holding the fort down in LA. I'm watching a lot of uh, Cobra Kai. 
Is and, Cobra uh, Kai good? My mom is obsessed really, with Cobra it, Kai. It really is good. It, it is well written. Um, it doesn't lean on the nostalgia too much uh, because, it, like, it could stand on its own. But the nostalgia gives it just a little, a little bit of a, of a kick. Do you need to have watched um, the first one, the first season, or the no, or the what, Karate Kid? Karate Kid. You've never seen Karate Kid? I saw Karate Kid when I was like really young but i don't remember anything of from it all right you should watch it again to psych yourself up for whatever you're you're doing in the day you should watch it every morning actually mm, it doesn't it just mm, doesn't it's seem another one of your jokes because it's not landing <laughs> landing like the way the crane cook would land that's a, that's- see, it's, this- see it's an inside joke see you know what there's gonna be people out there be like yeah i get it Please, Billy, if we watched it, we would get it. We haven't seen it yet. That's okay. Yeah, but you've seen you've seen Karate Kid though. Several years ago. <laughs> it's it's these deep cut jokes that I, I I will never I'll never get catch them even on shows that I've watched like a million times. But mm-hmm. that's what Billy is. He's a deep cut joke I'm maker. A, I'm a deep cut joke guy. We love it. Um, do we want to do some Facebook questions? Sure. Yeah, we can do a couple. We'll do a, f- a few Facebook questions before we leave today. By the way, I found some gummy bears. And if anybody has ever had a grapefruit, grapefruit flavored gummy bear, it is the bomb.com. Okay. Um, well, this is a this is a good question because Alexis and I uh, did this earlier tonight. What is your go-to last-minute snack that you grab in the checkout aisle? Like, you know how they have all the snacks like below at a CVS or like on the side at a grocery store? What's the thing that you always grab? Should I go first? Yeah. I didn't do it tonight because I didn't see it. But at my – oh, God. My at-home Rite Aid, which I miss, Cheez-Its or Goldfish. I'm always grabbing a cheesy, savory cracker. Like, mm. that's what I would grab. Like, when I'm feeling angry at the world and I'm like, you ate so healthy and there's like a bag of Cheez-Its, I'm like, do that. And that's what I do. Or a hot, ooh, a hot pocket if the frozen aisle is nearby. But <laughs> that's all we're talking about. The frozen aisle's not. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Cheez-Its or Goldfish would be the correct answer. Because they're truly the perfect one serving package, too. Because you don't want to buy a whole box. You don't want to buy a whole bag because they'll go stale if you're, like, not home for a few days. You want a single serving of Cheez-Its to feel good about yourself. Have we had this debate of Cheez-Its versus Goldfish? Cheez-Its, hands down. Really? See, I'm a Goldfish person. But they're so bland compared to Cheez-Its. Cheez-Its are so much more flavorful and cheesy. We're going to have to do a taste test right next to each other, and you will be turned. Jacqueline knows what they both (laughs) taste like. That's the difference. She she needs to be... She needs to have a reality checked in I've the moment. I've seen her eat both. She knows. I love both. Don't get me wrong. I love a cheese it and a goldfish, but I like I the thing that I like about goldfishes is, is they're less oily than a cheese it. They're the more cheese it's Goldfish, you get more bang for your buck. They're better for you. Like cheese it's are bad for you. They're like slices of cheese. <laughs> like, goldfish, you can also get the carton. I don't see a carton of cheese that's available anywhere. You know, you are not, you are not wrong. I mean, if, and I could eat that entire carton of goldfish and it's just very nostalgic. It just reminds me of my childhood, a a cheese it. Billy, what's your go-to grab and go snack situation? Your checkout snack. Beef jerky. Oh, that's a good one. Beef jerky without MSG. Yeah. But is it like a Slim Jim or like a. I'll do a Slim Jim every now and again. I feel like Slim Jims definitely have MSG in them. But I believe that they do. But maybe like one of those healthy Slim Jims, but yeah. Billy, I also feel like this is new. Like what about Billy two years ago? Like what would no, you I've, be I've unhealthy, been, you know what, Billy? Fi- no, no, for five years I've been – before that, it would be – Five years? Yes, I don't believe you. That, known- it would be it would be a Reese's. Mm, have you had the Reese's Take Fives that have the pretzels in them? I yeah, haven't but I don't, it's too much. Oh, so hard to do. I don't mm, like Billy, a few years ago you weren't eating Slim Jims. You were eating like – the worst thing at the checkout I love how line. you're saying Slim Jim like it's a healthy snack too. It's the yeah, exactly. Like- <laughs> it's healthier than than like a cheese it. I mean, I'm not bagging on it because of the health. It's a grab. It's a checkout snack. It's supposed to be bad for you. A grab and go. Um, yeah. What about you, Jack? I change. I can do if I'm doing like a salty situation, it would definitely be a goldfish. But if I'm doing a chocolatey situation, and this is not like my normal chocolate 
likings, but mm-hmm. I'll get the Hershey's uh, cookies and cream bar. Ooh, mm. yum! Unexpected, Mysterious. unexpected, like but delicious. That's Honestly, white chocolate, which is not chocolate. Yeah, and I don't like a white chocolate, but there's something, and I don't even like Oreos, so I don't know what the fuck is going That's on. Really in, weird yeah. in that bar, but I but I do love a cookies and cream, and it is just such a delightful snack. So either that, or like a Snickers. Mm. Mm. Oh, a Snickers is undeniably amazing. Alexis asked me to get a Snickers today when we were checking out but i got a twix and that's my third one well what's really funny is i was like get that snickers and i'll get this dark chocolate kit kat and then i completely forgot to get the kit kat (laughs) and i got a twix (laughs) but i did get the beer i got beer but i completely forgot i was a little drunk when we were there (laughs) you were i was i was like um i ordered a 50 dollar pizza that i had one bite of fuck it's okay alexis you know sunday fun day or whatever. We're doing our best. It was our first time out in four days. So like I know, we didn't I like, leave a single room in four days. So we're like, just doing our party. best. Doing our best. All right. Well, I think that we killed enough time. We did. 14 minutes and 35 seconds. Beep, beep. Beep. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen posed that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.